This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast and God bless. Tonight, 6 o'clock here in the worship center, I'll invite you to be a part of that. It's, it's multi-generation, my entire family singing other than my four-year-old son. So I'm so excited to be a part of that. Let's pray as we get started together in God's Word. Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to study your Word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open up the text of Scripture. Father, I pray as we study it, Lord, you would open the eyes of our hearts. I pray, Lord, I would rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I pray, Father, that we'd walk away from this service and from this text changed, more transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to focus on your word and to focus on your truth. May your name be glorified. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Now, if I said to you, David versus Goliath, what comes to mind? We've probably all heard the story before. If you grew up in church or even went to church as a kid, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. And the name itself conjures up images of the great versus the small, right? It's the story of the the super powerful versus the weak. It's the story of the, the, the person that we think can't possibly lose against the person that can't possibly win. It's the story of the champ versus the chump. <laughs> We've heard the story before, right? Well, we know the story of David and Goliath. David is the, Goliath is the giant and he steps up into battle and he challenges the Israelites and no one will come to fight. They're too fearful. David steps up forward for his people to win the day. We, we know the story. But here's the question I want to ask you this morning as we think through David and Goliath. How does it apply to us today? What can we learn about David and Goliath in our lives today? Now, there are certain things we could probably talk about. We could, we could say things like, well, it can help us defeat our giants, right? I mean, what are our giants that we're facing? Or it can help us to understand, to, to conquer our fears. Or it can help us to understand maybe what five stones we should pick up in, in our lives. And those are probably all areas that we could study and could learn from. But I believe that there's a bigger picture I believe there's something else at play here. The battle between David and Goliath certainly carried great importance for the children of Israel and the Philistines at the time. But more than a battle for empires, I'm going to argue this morning that the battle of David and Goliath was a picture of the battle for eternity. Now this is week seven of our great story sermon series. It's a sermon series in which we've been examining and studying Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament. And we've seen ultimately in this sermon series that God has a plan that began in the first part of the Old Testament and will run all the way through the end of the New Testament. And his plan is to redeem his people, to save his people through Jesus Christ. And so we've studied sections of the Old Testament that point us directly to Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago we looked at Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21 is the picture of the serpent being lifted up on the pole in the desert. We related that to John chapter 3 when Christ himself says, I must be lifted up just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. And we saw a picture of Christ in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 21. Before that, we had studied the Passover as the children of Israel left Egypt. And we saw they were to take an unblemished lamb and to take the blood of the lamb, paint it over the doorpost, and we saw that the blood of the lamb would save the people from death. 
Before that, we looked at Abraham and Isaac, and we saw that Isaac was about to be sacrificed, and the Bible says that God himself provided in the thicket, in the bushes, a ram. And we talked about how Christ will be our substitute. He will take our place. And we began weeks and weeks ago in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I want to read for you this morning. You don't have to turn there. But I want to read for you Genesis chapter 3 because it's going to be crucial for our understanding of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I think we have it on the screens. If we can pull that up, Stephen. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says this. Now let me me paint the picture very quickly here. Adam and Eve have sinned in the Garden of Eden. God is going to punish Adam. He's going to punish Eve. He's going to punish the serpent. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent. And here's what he says. He says, I, this is God, will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's the proto-evangelium is what scholars refer to it as. It's the first picture of the gospel. Now, we don't know exactly who Christ is going to be yet in Genesis chapter 3. We don't know what he's going to look like. We don't know what he's going to accomplish. But we know that the seed of the woman, generations down from the woman, there will come someone who will fight the serpent and will defeat the serpent by crushing his head. It's a picture of Christ, and it's a picture of his battle against Satan. Now, last week, we studied David. We studied 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we saw that Samuel, the prophet, came to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and anointed David as the next king of Israel. Now, it's very interesting because if you were to kind of draw the timeline out, and I've talked about this the last several weeks, but if you drew a line from Adam and Eve to to Abraham and from Abraham to Christ, David falls right in the middle. And, of course, we know that Christ is of the lineage of David. We know that from our study in the Scripture. But if you were to divide it into time, David falls somewhere right in the middle. So about half of the redemptive story of the Old Testament comes before David. About half of the redemptive story of the Old Testament comes after David. Now you would think, if God's got this great plan, which we've argued that he has, you would think that at the halfway point of his redemptive plan, he would give us another picture of exactly who he is and what he's going to accomplish. Well, I'm going to argue this morning that he did. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now it's going to be a few minutes. You can go ahead and take that down if you would because we're not going to start in verse 1. One of the things about 1 Samuel chapter 17 is it's a long chapter. And there are lots of things we can cover. And we don't have time this morning to go through all those verses and to talk each, each specifically, one, uh, specifically about each one of those verses. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to kind of hit the high points. But let me bring us up to speed before we delve into this passage of Scripture. David has been anointed as the future king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He has not yet assumed the throne. Saul is still the king. And at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistine army, who's the enemy, and the children of Israel have come together to do battle. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 4, Stephen, is where we're going to begin. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. The children of Israel are aligned across the valley against the Philistines. And we read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. And he was over nine feet tall. Now, scholars debate his height because in the original language it talks about cubits. It measures Goliath by cubits. Now, cubit was the distance from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. Scholars estimate it should have been somewhere between 18 to 21 inches, so there's a little bit of debate. But Goliath was somewhere between 9 and 10 feet tall. His head would have been very close to the basketball rim. Okay, 
he could have reached his arm three or four feet above the basketball rim. This is Goliath. Now look at verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now let's stop there just for a second because I want to draw out the first point and talk about it for the next several minutes. If we're going to understand the story of David and Goliath from a big picture, Old Testament redemption story, if we're going to understand the story of David and Goliath in the context of the great story, the first thing I want you to see, and the first point I want to make this morning, number one, is that Goliath represents the seed of the serpent. Goliath is the seed of the serpent. Now let's just review one more time because I don't want to lose anybody right here. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, and just keep this up, you don't have to go back to the text. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 reminds us that God's going to put enmity or hatred or anger between the woman and the serpent and between her offspring, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. So we understand that down through history, we're going to see people that fall into this category of being the representative of Satan. They're going to be the seed of the serpent. Now, at this point in redemptive history, at this point in the history of Israel, there's no group of people that's more hated by the Israelites than the Philistines. In fact, if you were to go back and read and study the Old Testament, 13 different occasions in the Bible, we're told that the Philistines and the Israelites do battle. So it's certainly nothing unusual that they're fighting. They've done this numerous times. And the Philistines have always stood in the way of the Israelites and stop them from doing the things that God has called them to do. Now, from among the Philistines, this group of people that's standing against the children of Israel, we see this one man. We see, as the Bible calls him, this champion, Goliath, step forward. And the thing we see about Goliath that just kind of jumps off the page to us is his incredible size and presence. Now, Goliath is 9 or 10 feet tall. He's got this helmet, coat of armor. His armor, by the way, is 5,000 shekels, which is about 125 pounds. He had a javelin spear, and the head of the spear was 600 shekels. That's about 20 pounds. So the spear itself was large enough, and on the top of the spear was a, basically a pointed object, a piece of, piece of uh, metal that weighed 20 pounds. So Goliath is this imposing man. He's got all this armor. He's known to be an incredible warrior, and the people of Israel are terrified at him. Now, I had the opportunity this week with my family to go to Florida for the week. Somebody offered us the opportunity to go, and so we took it. <laughs> we were happy to go. And so, on the way to Florida, I thought to myself, you know, I don't, I don't want to read a book this week about theology. I try to read a lot of books about theology. I want to read something totally different. So I go to the bookstore, and I start looking around, and I see the book, No Easy Day. Now, some of you may have read it. It's a brand new book, and it's the account of the Navy SEALs going into bin Laden's uh, compound in Pakistan and, and killing him. That's a fascinating book. I don't know if you've seen it or not. There's a lot of controversy about it. The Pentagon says they shouldn't have released it. It's got too much information. But the guy that wrote it is, of course, he's changed his name. He gives a detailed account of the Navy SEALs going into that compound. He's the second guy up the stairs, the second guy into Bin Laden's bedroom. And he gives literally this second-by-second second account of exactly what it looked like. It's a fantastic book. But as I read the book, it struck me as I started thinking more and more about our special forces and the Navy SEALs. And the thing that stood out to me was, was, was first of all, the, the, these men have spent their lives and dedicated themselves to training and to being professionals and to honing their skills. And they're the best in the world. I mean, when you get them into a place, they don't lose. 
And so they spend all these years training, but on top of all their training, on top of all their ability, they've got the best weaponry in the world. And so he's explaining the weapons, and he's talking about all the infrared stuff and all the, the equipment that they use, and he starts talking about his night vision goggles. And one of the things they, these guys do is they operate in total darkness when possible. They have the advantage there. And I think about these night vision goggles, and you know, you've seen the picture of the goggles come down. They've got the little two tubes. The newer version, apparently, has got two tubes here and then two here as well. They're four tubes. So they've got a peripheral view as well. And he's talking about these goggles, and he says, Each pair of goggles costs $65,000 <laughs> per pair. That's almost as much as my Ford Ranger truck cost me out there in the parking lot. My 96 Ford Ranger, 65 grand. That's a good truck now, be careful. There were 24 seals that made it into that compound. So you, you can do the math. But I'm, I'm reading this book about these seals and their incredible training and how they're just the best in the world at what they do. And our, our special forces just, they get it, man. They, they do their job. And I thought about the incredible warriors that they are. And I thought to myself, you know, Goliath was kind of like the special forces of his day. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy that stands out. He's a guy that's, that's equipped. He's a guy that's got all the weaponry. He's a guy that's got all the training. And when the people of Israel looked at him, they feared him. And I can just imagine the enemies of the United States. I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, man, I'm glad these guys are on our team, right? And I think about the enemy of the United States and how they must fear when these guys show up for whatever reason. So Goliath steps onto this field of battle and he's just incredibly tall, incredibly powerful, incredibly equipped, fighting force. The children of Israel are afraid of him. Now, look at what happens in verse 4. I'm going to read it to you again because I think it's very interesting. As we think about Goliath being a picture of the seed of the serpent, I want to remind you now of a couple of weeks ago when we studied Numbers chapter 21. And some of you may not have been here when we studied that. But Numbers 21 is a picture of Moses lifting the seed of the, excuse me, lifting the serpent up in the wilderness. And the serpent is made of bronze. Now look at verse 4. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp and he was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor. Just imagine what that scale must have looked like on his body made of, there it is, bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. You begin to see the picture here, don't you? We, we begin to see, again, we're looking back at Numbers 21. We understand Genesis 3. We understand the seed of the serpent. We understand Numbers 21. And we see the same sort of picture here with Goliath, right? Now look what happens as we move forward in verse 8. So Goliath stood. And let's bring this one up if we got it. Verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17. So Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So he's standing out in front. He's shouting across the valley. Why do you come out and line up for battle? In other words, what are you guys even doing, right? Am I not a Philistine and you are not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day, now listen to this, this is important. I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So now here's the picture, right? you got Goliath, this imposing warrior, stepping out of the lines. And for 40 days, the Bible tells us, in the morning and the evening, he calls out the children of Israel. And he says, I want you to bring me one guy, just one. We don't have to do a whole battle here. I want you to bring me one guy, and we'll fight. And if I win, then you guys will become our subjects. 
if he wins, we'll become your subjects. Now I look at this picture and I think about Saul, the present king of Israel, and I think about the Israelite soldiers, and I think they must have been scared to death, <laughs> right? I mean, they're looking at each other probably every day. You're going to go today? No, no. You're going to go? Uh-huh. What about John? You think he'll go? No, no. John's not going. No way. Who's going to go, right? Nobody's going to go. They're fearful of Goliath. But here's the problem, right? We see it as a fear issue, but here's the problem. Saul and the army of Israel had forgotten God's power in their lives. That's the problem. See, they had forgotten the God that they serve. Now, over and over and over in the Old Testament, we see God's power. We've seen it in our study the last few weeks. We've seen the power of God in the plagues of Egypt. We've seen the power of God in the Passover. We've seen the power of God as he protected and provided for the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. We've seen God's power and we understand God's power and we know and we trust God's power. But Saul and the children of Israel had forgotten God's power. But that's not the biggest problem. Forgetting God's power is one thing, but here's the real problem. Saul and the people of Israel had forgotten they were God's people. You see, they had forgotten that all these years ago God had chosen them. And God had called them to be his own. And it never occurred to Saul that maybe, just maybe, God himself would defeat Goliath. Now, there are all sorts of scripture in the Old Testament that remind us that these are God's people. I don't want you to look them up, but I want to read them to you just to give you a sense of what we're dealing with here. Exodus chapter 7, excuse me, Exodus chapter 6 verse 7 says this. This is God speaking. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Exodus 29, 45, God says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Leviticus 26, 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Over and over and over again, we see in the Old Testament, that God has claimed to be the God of the children of Israel. He says, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. So this is important, I want you to watch this. If you flip back, now don't pull it up, but if you flip back to verse 10, when Goliath first comes out and here's what he says, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel. Now here's what's really going on here. Goliath isn't defying the army of Israel. He's defying God. Do you understand that? The Israelites are the children of God. They have experienced the power of God. And when Goliath defies the ranks of Israel, he is in fact defying God himself. Now I'll remind you of Genesis chapter 12 when God first came to Abraham. And he first made the covenant with Abraham and he first called Abraham to become a great nation. I want to read to you what he says to Abraham in Genesis 12 just to remind you of what God said he was going to do. God says to Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 2, I will make you, he says to Abraham, a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now listen to what he says. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. You see that? So we've got this picture of Goliath who's the seed of the serpent, stepping out and cursing and defying God. Now, Jim Hamilton, who's a scholar that's written extensively about the Old Testament, he's got a fascinating book on the Old Testament. Here's what he says. Opponents of the people of God seem to be regarded as the seed of the serpent. And no opponent of Israel is more prominent in Samuel than the Philistines. And the particular Philistine seed of the serpent who receives the most attention in Samuel is Goliath. So here's where we are in this context. Here's where we are in this study. 
We've seen that Goliath very clearly is the seed of the serpent. So here's the question we ask ourselves. The seed of the serpent has shown himself and challenged God himself. Who can now defeat the seed of the serpent? Well, look at verse 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, the same David from 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel the attended chief, he says, Take this ephah, which is about 22 liters of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Now this is interesting because we remember from last week's study that Jesse didn't think enough of David to even bring him before Samuel. You remember? Jesse brings all of his other sons and Samuel keeps looking, not this one, not this one, not this one, none of these. And Samuel finally says, are these all your sons, Jesse? And Jesse says, well, there's, there's the young one. But he's kind of small and he's tending sheep and you, you, don't wanna, you really don't want to worry with him. Well, they bring him up and that's the one that God anoints. Now fast forward to 1 Samuel 17, 17. Jesse still doesn't think enough of his son to even send him to battle. You see this? He sent his brothers and David is still home tending the flock. That's amazing to me. Now look at verse 18. So take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. In other words, bring me back some news, David, of what's going on at the front. They are with Samuel, excuse me, they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So we've seen, number one, that Goliath is the seed of the serpent. Here's the second thing I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture this morning. Number two, David is the seed of the woman. <laughs> now, I hope, you're, I hope you're playing this out a little bit in your brain. I hope you're a few steps ahead of me. Goliath is the seed of the serpent. David is the seed of the woman. Now, here's what happens. David shows up at the front lines, and, and he takes the bread, and he begins to see that this giant is coming out and calling out the children of Israel. And, and Saul won't fight. Saul has missed the point. He's forgotten the power of God. He's forgotten that they're the people of God. The Israelite army won't fight. They've forgotten the power of God. They've forgotten that they're God's chosen people. David's brothers won't even fight. They've forgotten God's power. They've forgotten exactly who God was in their lives. And you've got this giant calling people out. Calling people out. Who's going to come and fight? Who's going to come and fight? And the Israelites, man after man after man, have forgotten God's power. And they've forgotten that they're God's chosen people. But I want you to see something very interesting. While Saul and all the people of Israel had forgotten and didn't understand exactly what was happening, David gets it. Look at what he says in verse 26. So David sees what's going on. Pull that up for us. 1 Samuel 17, 26. So David asked the men near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now I want you to listen to what he says here. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should, now listen to what David says, David gets it, that he should defy the armies of the living God. You see that? David understands exactly what's going on here. It's not about a man versus a man. It's about the serpent's seed defying God himself. David understands that. And so David sees very clearly that it's not a challenge to the people of Israel. It's a challenge to God himself. So here's the question. The seed of the serpent is challenging the living God. Who's going to defeat him? Verse 32. So David said to Saul, and I love David's calmness here. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Now in modern terms, David would say something like this. Hey, just, just relax, dude. <laughs> Saul, just chill out. Right? Just chill out. It's going to be okay. Don't, don't lose any sleep on this. Your servant will go and fight him. 
David says, Saul, you just relax, man. Don't, don't worry about it. I know you're, you're afraid. I know your men are afraid. I know all your great warriors are afraid. But you just need to relax because I'm going to handle this, right? Now, Saul's response to David, David, you're too little. You're too young. No way. You're not going to go do it. It's a mistake. Now, look what David says in verse 36. So David says in verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Now, remember, he'd been protecting these sheep over the last several years. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Because of my power? No, listen to what David says. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. David gets it, doesn't he? He understands as God's chosen king and God's chosen leader. He understands and remembers the power of God. So Saul says, okay, go, the Lord be with you, and the account tells us that David puts on Saul's armor and it's too big, so he eventually takes it off. And let's pick up the story in verse 40. 1 Samuel 17, 40 says this. He took his staff in his hand, this is David, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And most scholars believe these stones would have been about the size of a baseball or a tennis ball, pretty large stones. He put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now skip down to verse 45. Now here's what David says to the Philistine. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David understands, I'm God's chosen man. I'm the future king. You are defiling the living God, and through his power, I will have victory. So now let's paint the picture one more time before we move on here. You've got the seed of the serpent defying the living God. This is Genesis 3 now. Don't, don't lose me here. The seed of the serpent defying the living God over here. You've got the seed of the woman who's God's chosen, David, over here. And these two guys are about to do battle. It's Genesis 3. It's just so cool to me. Let's, let's move on. Verse 46. I'm going to get to it. Verse 46. So this day... This is what David says again. The Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down. Now listen to this. And cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So number one, we've seen the serpent of the, the seed of the serpent, Goliath. Number two, we see the seed of the woman, God's chosen man, David. Those two are about to do battle. And number three, here's the third point. The seed of the woman will defeat the seed of the serpent by crushing his head. Wow, what a picture of Genesis chapter 3. You see what's going on here, right? The seed of the woman, that's David is going to defeat the seed of the serpent by crushing his head. You remember Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will, you remember what it says, crush your head. What an incredible picture. So verse 46, excuse me, verse 48. The Philistine moved closer to attack him, and David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. There's no fear in David's heart. David's not looking for a rock to hide behind. David's not scared of what's about to happen. He knows that he serves the living God. And he understands clearly what's going on here. So he runs 
toward the battle line to meet Goliath. Verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over a Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. David ran and he stood over him and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now, I'm not trying to be graphic here and I'm not going to say any more about it. But if you were to continue to read through this passage, the head is mentioned four or five other times. There's this emphasis that David crushed the head and defeated Goliath and then cut off his head to demonstrate exactly what he had done. It's the picture of the seed of the woman defeating the seed of the serpent by crushing his head. It's, it's an incredible picture. It's an incredible picture of David and Goliath, but it's a more incredible picture of Christ. It's a picture of what Christ is going to do for us one day when he battles against Satan and ultimately when he defeats Satan by crushing his head. This very simply is a picture of God's redemption. I want you to listen to this. I want to read it because I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. Years later, I want you to listen. Years later, another young man from Bethlehem who was anointed as the king but had not yet ascended to the throne was sent by his father. He was mocked and looked down upon and he fights against the serpent and he'll win the battle for his people when no one else could. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. But see, here's the amazing thing for us right now where you sit. I want you to listen to this. God's redemption is still available today. If you repent from your sins and turn to Christ, you will be saved. Because here's the beautiful part. God has already won the battle. All you have to do is believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you again, Lord, for the clarity of your word. And we thank you for this picture of redemption. Lord, there's so many things we could say in this passage and so many incredible things we could draw out, Lord. But we see so clearly from the big picture of you, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, Lord, go to battle and the seed of the woman crushes the head of the seed of the serpent. Father, it's the picture of redemption. It's a picture of what you've done. But above all that, Father, we're just so thankful for your son. We're so thankful that Christ took our place on the cross, gave his life for our sins, that we can return, we can turn from our sins and turn towards Christ and repent and be saved, Father. May your name be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a couple of minutes if you want to come and pray. If you want to return, excuse me, if you want to repent from your sins and turn towards Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you want to join this church, this is your time right now as we sing. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.